Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is uh, Kennard Levy-Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. We began uh, this podcast way back in December 2007, and I'm glad that I am doing it again here. It's it's a much-needed service, and I'm looking forward to uh, producing uh, new uh, programs to, to help us all get into the Word of God at this time and to understand that things are really, really um, getting biblical as far as prophecy. Uh, the title of this program today is What Does the Bible Reveal About the Future? Many people have tried to predict the second coming of Christ or the Messiah. Many people thought Christ or the Messiah will come back in their generation. What about this generation? Will Messiah come back in this generation? Is this generation different than any other generation? And so that's the thing that we need to to understand and, and try to figure out here. Um, and so this is the purpose of the Bible study today. And so what I like to do when... I make an attempt to uh, simplify prophecy is to go to Matthew. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24. And then he foretold the temple destruction that happened around 70 AD. And then in Matthew 24 verse 3 and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives the disciples came unto him privately so this was a private conversation with his Talmudim or students or disciples on the Mount of Olives which is across from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem he says tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and on the end of the world so we have I've looked at uh, several commentaries about this and Some of them are in complete denial of what the context of this conversation was about. And here's the context. Tell us, when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming? And so what the context of the following scriptures after this answer to the question that the disciples had is about the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. So that's what it's about. And you get many people saying, uh, many so-called biblical scholars saying that 
uh, this was already completed in the first century and it's not going to happen again. Totally ignoring what he's saying here, that the context of the following words he's going to say here is the context of the sign of his coming. So it certainly, it certainly is not coming, I'm sorry, it's certainly not talking about his first coming because he's already there when he's talking to him. So he's talking about the sign of thy coming. You might as well put second coming there and the end of the world. All right. So that's the context. So let's believe what the scriptures say and stop believing these people that look cute and, and, and sound cute or sound nice, but they're not speaking accurately. All right. So we, we got to understand that. Now, in verse five or verse four, the first thing that came out of his mouth. And this is in red letters in your King James Version. And Jesus, or Yeshua, and for those who are listening to me for the first time, Jesus' Hebrew name is Yeshua. Just had a Facebook post recently, Jesus and Yeshua are two separate people. No, they're not, okay? When you understand the truth, you know they're not, all right? Anyway, in verse 4, And Yeshua, or Jesus, answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. So, one of the common traits of the, of the end times is deception. Deception. Again, deception, and there's a lot of deception out here, ladies and gentlemen. It's a lot of deception, and we we have to understand that, and we have to uh, realize that the Bible is true what it says, so much so that when you look at the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, let's, let's turn there, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12. Verse 9, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. And Hebrew for that is ha-satan. Ha means the, satan means Satan, which means adversary, which deceives the whole world. So, so Yeshua said there'll be a lot of deception. And then, of course, John is backing him up, um, or the Holy Spirit, which was Christ's spirit. It is Christ's spirit is telling him, giving him more detail about what he said. Over in Matthew says that the devil is the one that's deceiving the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. All right. So we, we have in the scriptures that the whole world is deceived. And then Yeshua or Jesus stated in Matthew chapter 24, that it would be a lot of deception in the world. And of course, he's talking about religious deception and other deception too, but certainly religious deception. And so right there, I know when I first read this scripture, I was like, oh, oh, something's wrong, you know, because I was raised a Catholic and I was taught all kinds of false things now that I realize that the Catholic church teaches. Now, do they teach some truth? Of course they do. All these religions teach truth, but they got to teach some truth to get you deceived. What is the truth that most of Christianity teaches yet that, that, that Christ died on the cross to take away our sins, right? Yeah, that's, I think most, if not all, the uh, churches or assemblies that claim to be Christian have that common understanding, all right? But most of the 2.5 billion Christians around the world are brainwashed and taught that the, the, the law is nailed to the cross. All right, and they get that from Colossians. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. 
where it says blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. So, so they see that word ordinances and they think the ordinances means the, the Torah or the, uh, the law or the instructions of God. Now, when you look this up, the original Koine Greek, and when I say Koine Greek, Koine Greek is Greek that was written with a Hebrew flair to it. Okay, so dogma. And it's the same exact uh, Greek that was written for the Septuagint, which is the first translation of the original Hebrew manuscript, uh, the first five books, later on they did other books, uh, into another language. It was, it was uh, Greek, and it had a Hebrew flair because it was translated by Jewish-Greek uh, individuals. All right, so anyway, dogma, that's what the word means. It doesn't mean uh, the, the instructions of God, okay? And it's opinion, conclusion, proposition, dogma. It can be a degree of command. Now, he states here the Mosaic, Mosaic law, and that's not what it's talking about, all right? Views concerning Christianity, it means views, doctrinal statements, principles. And I'm going to show you how that can't be uh, that, okay? So the word is dogma. It's not talking about um, the law of God. Now, when you look up in the New Testament, uh, the word law, let me get to it here, looking at my uh, concordance here. So when you look at, I know the, the Hebrew word for law is Torah, and that means all the instructions of God. Now, I'm trying to look at the New Testament. Uh, here we go, right here. Uh, we had different various um, translations of that here. Let me take a look here. Um, so Acts 13, verse 15, and after the reading of the law, so the... Um, the Hebrew equivalent to uh, Torah, Torah is the, uh, the, the equivalent to saying law in English, all right? So, but the Greek is nomos, all right? And it's, it's certainly referring to law. So dogma and nomos is two completely different words, all right? So you have to, when you study the Bible, sometimes you have to look at the original word that it was written in to get a full understanding of it. And this is one of those cases. So, so dogma, that's what it's referring to. It's not referring to the law of God. Now, here's another thing to get you to think, all right? So what's the definition of law in the Bible? All right, when we get to Psalm 119, Psalm 119, Psalm 119, verse, let's take a look, verse 142. says, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy Torah, or law, is the truth. And then Jesus, or Yeshua, stated in John 17, verse 17, when he was praying to his father, that thy word is truth. And Matthew 4, verse 4, plainly states that we must live by every word of God. And so, ladies and gentlemen, let's, let's, with, with the information I've given you, now let's properly interpret Colossians 2 verse 14 Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances Is not talking about God's law Talking about dogma, opinions That was against us Which was contrary to us So how can the law of God be against us Nothing that God does is against us Unless we sin uh, And then the curses come Okay, uh, And took it out of the way Nailing it to his cross So 
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, God did not nail what he calls truth, his law, to the cross. That does not make any kind of sense whatsoever. So I just used a interpretation method called eisegesis, where I'm using the scriptures to interpret the scriptures. And the truth is not nailed to the cross. Dogma, opinions against the truth, our sins, is nailed to the cross. And it continues to be nailed to the cross if we make an attempt to continue to overcome our sin through having the spirit of truth, the true Holy Spirit put into us. All right? And that's another program on the difference between the spirit of error and the spirit of truth. You had a spirit of error, you had a devil spirit in you. The spirit of truth, you have God's spirit in you. It's complete, two completely different spirits that the Bible talks about. All right, so anyway, so let me, because um, I only have about 17 minutes left here, so let me continue on here because I can really get into other topics. But we got to get into what does the Bible reveal about the future um, and maybe on some of my video teachings in the future, I'll go into detail. But anyway, we, we know what he said, deception. So many shall come in my name saying, I am the Messiah and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. We've been hearing about that all throughout history, right? See that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation. According to a Greek word, in the case, it can be families, families against families, and then kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences, which we are experiencing right now with the coronavirus uh, and is causing all kind of economic issues and problems and earthquakes. And he says all these things will be uh, done in various places worldwide. And that's occurring as I'm speaking. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, as I've stated many times uh, in my video teachings and perhaps uh, some audio teachings that we don't know when we have an outbreak like this. This is a pandemic that has not been of the like like this since uh, the Spanish flu. So we don't know if it's going to continue on like this and never end or if God is going to, you know, have mercy uh, again, undeserved mercy that, 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 that he's going to give us. But the Bible does indicate that it's going to come a time when he's not going to pass over our sins anymore. And that's not a Bible study. But uh, we could be at that point. We could be. at. But the purpose of this Bible study is to reveal what to quickly uh, reveal the future, okay, and uh, what, what's going to happen. And I'm going to do that today uh, with the help of Matthew 24. And all these are beginning of sorrows. What's the beginning of sorrows? Um, people fighting among each other, not getting along, uh, kingdom, nations against nations, uh, and having economic problems and diseases along with that, and earthquakes in various places. We've been experiencing that all throughout the ages, and we certainly are experiencing that now, in a heightened way. And verse 9, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. So there's going to be martyrdom and you shall be hated of all nations for my sake. And then shall many be offended. So the true people of God are going to be hated, just like Yeshua was hated in his generation. And John 7, verse 7 says, the world hates me because I testify of his wickedness. Certainly the world hates me uh, as well and anyone else that follows him because we do the same thing he does or try to anyway. We testify of the wickedness of the world, and people don't want to hear that. And so uh, most people. In verse 11, again, here we go with the false prophets. There's so many of those out there. Shall rise and shall deceive many. 
And because iniquity, that means lawlessness or torlessness, okay, shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And I certainly have sensed this. I'm 55 years old, and, and even, I would say, 20 years ago, people were a lot more caring than they are today. Um, verse 13, but he that shall endure, so we have to endure unto the end, then we'll be saved. Okay, let me repeat that. Uh, he that shall endure unto the end, that means... Uh, if you have God's spirit dwelling in you, if you just overcome these sins toward the end of your life, then you'll be resurrected in the first resurrection. As another Bible study, read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and Revelation chapter 11. Um, and then this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness. Now, that's the key, witness. There's going to be two witnesses. And then in Revelation chapter 14, first few verses talks about the angels um, are going to uh, preach the gospel around the world. One angel is going to do some some false teacher saying, oh, that's not an angel. Well, that's what the Bible says. It's an angel. Okay, so are you going to accept what the scriptures say or put your own twist into it? So anyway, and the, the, and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. What is that? Go to Daniel chapter 11. Let's go there. Daniel chapter 11. Because he told us to go to Daniel. So let's go to Daniel. Daniel chapter 11, verse 29. Verse 31, rather. And arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary. Sanctuary is referring to the temple of strength, and shall take away the daily. And then the King James Version translators added sacrifice. Good, good addition there. And shall take away the daily sacrifice. What is the daily sacrifice? If you look at Numbers chapter 28, It'll reveal that to you. Uh, you had a evening sacrifice and a morning sacrifice. That's what it's talking about. So the the the, the morning sacrifice uh, clears the day out for various sacrifices all throughout the day, and the evening sacrifices would end those sacrifices. So the 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 daily sacrifice was the first sacrifices of many sacrifices all throughout the day. That's another Bible study to explain that in detail. And they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. Now, to understand this historically, you can go to the book of Maccabees. Now, the book of Maccabees is not scripture, but it's a good history book. And it goes into detail about what the abomination of desolation is, especially if you look, read the first chapter. If you read the first chapter of Maccabees, it explains in detail uh, what the abomination of desolation is and what it was, basically was a defilement of the temple area, um, uh, Antiochus or Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, sometimes his name is, or it is, with some people pronounced Antiochus. Um, he uh, sacrificed uh, pork on the altar, and uh, it was a statue of Zeus or some pagan statue erected. So that was the abomination that, that made that area desolate and impure, all right? And such as do, and so, and such as do wickedly against the covenant, that's against the agreement to keep all the commandments, shall be corrupt by flatteries and so forth. So anyway, that's describing the tribulation. So Yeshua stated, or Jesus stated, that there was going to be a tribulation similar to that in his time and in the future. All right? So let's go back to Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. 
So this is the reason why he says uh, stand in a holy place, and it's not talking about a group of people worshiping. It's talking about an actual place. If you have eSword, which I, I use frequently to do my Bible studies, and you type in the word holy place, uh, it refers to a physical structure, all right? He says, whoever read of let him understand, because you know, there's going to be many people didn't understand. Many people are not going to understand what I'm talking about today, unfortunately. Then let them which be in Judea, the West Bank, flee to the mountains. All right? Let him which is on a housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are pregnant. But pray ye that your flight, so a certain group of people are going to be fleeing at this time for protection. Uh, not in the winter, neither on the Shabbat. So this, this proves that the Shabbat day is still being kept. And, and of course, the most evangelicals say, oh, this is a Jewish people. No, this is talking about Jews and Christians that are keeping the Sabbath and that understand that Yeshua is the Messiah and that he's Yodei Vahe or God. They will be fleeing, okay? <laughs> For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world uh, to this time, nor ever shall be, and except those days should be shortened, and they will be. There should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man say, lo, here is Christ, or there believe it not. Here we go again with the emphasis on the deception. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and show great signs and wonders. Yes, some of these false prophets and preachers will be doing miracles, but it doesn't mean that what they're preaching is true. The foundational scriptures to understand that is Deuteronomy chapter 13. Well, it says that, hey, you can have somebody that's, that's uh, preaching, um, and they can have miracles, but the miracles is not the sign of whether or not this individual is true or not. What's the sign is if this individual is teaching properly and doing what he says. That's the proof, okay? So anyway... Not the, the, the signs. The people focus too much on the miracles and not, a, not what the person is saying out of their mouth and, and what the person and what the person is doing, which is the Bible's definition, his fruits. So anyway, getting back to this, um, before I've told you before, where if, if they shall say unto you, behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning come out of the east and shine of even to the west, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man. For wherever the carcass is, was referring to a body, there will be eagles gathered together. Is certainly referring to Revelation chapter 19, toward the end of it. Uh, when he comes back, uh, it's going to be, uh, unfortunately, a feast for the animals of the dead bodies. So anyway, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. And he shall send his angels. So this will be the first resurrection that's going to occur that's outlined in Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 15. He announces his return, and then uh, he scatters up the uh, the first fruits, the those who had God's Holy Spirit, and overcame until the end. Those are the ones going to be resurrected first. So anyway, now in verse 32, now learn a parable of the fig tree when his branch is yet tender and put it forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So he's using an analogy of agriculture here. Remember that he lived in an agrarian society. Most people had land 
and they cultivated the land. So likewise, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the door. So just like when you see crops uh, putting forth leaves, you know that all the things that he said, when you start seeing these things, know that it's near. So that's how you can tell. Uh, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, he meant his generation, but he also meant a future generation. And this is what I'm going to answer the question here in a simple way. There's other ways I can do it. But uh, November of 1952 was the first detonation of the thermonuclear bomb. Uh, Einstein at that time stated that now we have the capability. Now we have the capability of destroying all man off this earth. All right. And Yeshua, another Jew, the most perfect Jew, stated the following uh, to back up what Einstein stated. In Matthew 24, verse 22, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. What days? The thermonuclear bomb age, which began in 1952. Now, in Psalms, let's go to Psalms, Psalm 90. I know there's 40 years can be a generation, but Yeshua was referring to the generation of man, a generation of man. Okay, so Psalm 90, verse 10 gives us a Bible definition of that in this context. So Psalm 90, verse 10, the days of our years are three score and 10, so 70 years. And if by reason of strength, they be four score years. So 70 or 80 years are the days of man, that generation. Yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Psalm 90, verse 10. All right, so we add 70 years to when the thermonuclear bomb was detonated the test for it all right uh and then einstein stated that oh now we can destroy all humanity off the face of the earth and we add 70 years of that we get what 2022 which will be happening next year um based on the jewish calendar we're in a phase called the shemitah year all right which is pretty interesting uh and in september of next year will be the end of the shemitah year all right but I'm not saying that he's going to come back next year. All kinds of things need to occur. But what I'm saying is it's, it's, a, it's a possibility that uh, between uh, 2022 and 2032, he could possibly come back. I don't know. Okay. Now, another scenario, too, uh, you go to the days of Noah, because in Luke chapter 17, verse 26, he said his second coming would be similar to the days of Noah. Now, we know that's 120 years. So if you add 120 years, if you add 120 years to uh, 1952, what do you get? So let's let's do that. So we, you know, he wants us to guesstimate and estimate, and that's what we're doing. 1952 plus 120 years. That's 2072. So what I'm telling you, using the word of God, that Yeshua can come back anywhere. Uh, between um, actually from the start now um, of 2021, I'm not saying it's coming back this year. There's no way because you know you have, you have to have a three and a half year period. So you have to take that in consideration, and the temple has to be built. So if the temple is built between 2021 and 2072, or up to 2072, then you have he could come back when that temple is built 
three and a half years from that time, okay, from 2021 to 2072. Now, I'm hoping the way things are going, though, it looks, it appears that uh, he could be coming back uh, possibly in the next 10 years here. You know, there's a prophecy in Hosea that I'll go over, too, that can help us understand this better, too. But that's another program. But that is the simplest way to understand, ladies and gentlemen, that we don't have a lot of time left. Um, it could be more than 2072, but I'm just guesstimating. Um, so we have 2022 as a possible uh, time when God to start to end things, okay? Uh, we have 2032, or it can be between that, those, those times and also lead up to 2072. And so in either case, we know that we don't have a lot of time left. And then the future generation that he was talking about is a generation where we can destroy every man and woman and child off this earth. And we're living in that generation today. And I don't really hear too many preachers talking about this. But this preacher will, and he will continue to talk about it, ladies and gentlemen. So anyway, that should answer the question. If you have other questions, you can contact me at Kennard at MercifulServiceOfGod.com. Also, go to my YouTube channel. Just type in Merciful Servants of God. I have various teachings on the YouTube channel. Um, I also am developing a new podcast website where you can easily access all my episodes. You can do it on a blog talk radio uh, as well. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I hope this is the start of many, several different uh, uh, short Bible studies each and every Sunday. So may Yah bless and keep you. Yah is short for God. And I'll be with you uh, next week. Take care. Peace.